not quite as sprightly as I used to be, <laughs> but still moving. Right now, I should be saying the normal things, like, um, thank you so much for inviting me to come. But I'd rather say, what in the world am I doing up here? <laughs> Don't get many chances nowadays. But uh, it's, it's great to be able to stand, to sit here and say how wonderful yesterday was. I was saying to Linda, that was the best that we've ever had. Onwards and upwards we go. It, it, was, it was amazing to meet folk that we worked with when we were doing deputation years and years ago, uh, when I could move, um, and to meet them, people from Wedderburn, people from Donald yesterday, it was amazing, you know. You, if we didn't have the tags, we probably wouldn't know them, not after all this time, but uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful day. You know, when you're married to a speaker, you don't get much time, much chance to, to talk and to say things. So I do thank you for this chance to give my side of the story. Thanks. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I was going to warn you that if you never want to come up here, watch out for someone who's taller than me, which is a hard thing for you because I think everyone here but Norm is taller than me. So, um, but uh, somebody with a beautiful smile, glasses, medium length hair. I could, if I was being really direct, I could say her name starts with J, but be careful because they're the sort of people that get you up here. Um, it seems like we've been in Kerrang forever, and actually it is a very long time since we came here. Um, but you know, you people are home to us. It's going to be hard to go. It's going to be just like when we went to Africa all those years ago. Um, we're leaving you and you're our home. All of you people just love you, you know. <laughs> you're really great. <laughs> and, and it's been lovely here. Thank you. But we've been receiving subtle hints, sometimes not so subtle, that things have changed for us. I've been telling a few of the ladies, and I just had such a good laugh. It's good that you can see the joke of it. Uh, you know those pests that come to the door selling solar? Uh, I was at home one day a few weeks ago, and this guy knocks at the door. So I went to the door, and I said to him, "Now nah, look, I said, our house is so old. We can't. And I said, anyway, we're too old now. We, we'd never get our money back if we put solar in. And he said, old? You're old? He had his book open all ready to sign me up. He said, oh, you're old? How old are you? And I said, we're both over 80. And he said, oh, yes, you're right. So shut the book. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that builds you up. <laughs> um. Remember the old saying, I, I wondered what to, what to base my talk on, and then I thought, when we were back in MBI, Wendy will remember this, the lecturers used to say to us, if God says something twice, listen. They always used to say that. So I'm going to talk about choosing joy. Surprise. <laughs> God wants you to take notice, and I want to go back lots of years um, to describe what it's been like in our lives since the day we chose joy. You know, our, our life together started in Jersey, Channel Islands, not, not America. 
started in Jersey, and uh, when Dave and I first met in Jersey, it was about 60 years ago. We were so different. David was a Christian, but very new, mostly untaught. Um, I wasn't a Christian, but I was very churchy. I was choir singing. I was law-abiding, painfully law-abiding, Dave will tell you. Um, but totally un unaware that there was a God who actually loved me. I, I just didn't know. I didn't hear it. I hadn't heard it. And, and yet I followed everything it said, but I, I didn't know. It's amazing how you can go through life, sit in a number of services and never hear anything. It was just amazing to me. Um, and then suddenly I heard, eventually I heard about the Lord who, for the joy who had set before him, died for me. But I didn't hear till I got here. Our next stage, we got married. And it's 58 years now, actually more than 58 since we've been married. I'm getting on really well teaching him how to do things and training him. <laughs> um, but soon after, we're, actually a couple of days after we're married, a week after we're married, we left for Belgium, where David was finishing his um, stint of, what's it called? Um, national service. And, and this is an example, a prime example of my law keeping. When Dave asked me to marry him, he said, we could stay here, I'll get work, because I have promised while I was studying pharmacy to go back and do my two years in national service. And the law in me rose, and I said to him, if you've promised to do national service, you have got to do national service. You said you would. What a woman. I said, I said to him, I don't want to be married and have children, and then you have to go and do national service. So he went. <laughs> it was amazing. That was my first triumph. So he went. Anyway, he had, he had six months more to go. So after we got married, we left for Belgium. You know, when you, when you look at these papers, what I've done so I don't lose my way, I've put in Jersey, in Belgium, in England, in Australia, in Africa. <laughs> We've been around. <laughs> but in Belgium, it was, it was wonderful. Um, it was hard because the pay was, I can't remember what it was, it was very little. What was it? A couple of dollars, a couple of pounds a week, wasn't it, Dave? I don't know. He can't remember either. We had hardly any money anyway. We couldn't afford to go to the NAFI. We had that little money, but it was wonderful. We learnt there, when we looked back, we said the stuff God taught us there was absolutely amazing. Do you know, we learnt to, Dave learnt everything about working in a hospital, and later on he ran one. He learned everything about dealing with people, I did too, of different nationalities, not only dealing with them, but loving them, loving working with them. It was great. But one of the main skills I got, I learned to bargain. Quite by accident, because of that wage I was telling you about, um, I had to bargain. We couldn't afford to buy regularly, so I'd go to the market, and I didn't know I was bargaining, but they'd say the price, and I'd say, oh, no, thanks, and I'd walk away, and they'd say, come back, come back, come back, and they'd do another, another thing. And I got so good at it when I found out how it was. And, and you know... Everyone will tell you I was brilliant when we got to Africa. 
Uh, the secret is you must know what the real price is because none of us as Christians want to rub people in the dirt. We don't. We, we want them to succeed. And, and I was very careful when I bargained. Mind you, none of my children would stand with me when I was bargaining. <laughs> they were so embarrassed. <laughs> I remember once when I was buying towels for the hospital, I bargained and bargained and thoroughly enjoyed it. We, we agreed. He gave me the bag of towels. I pulled out the money and he looked at it and he said, uh, Missy, that's what they always call it, um, that's not as much as I paid for the towels. And I said, oh, that's no good. Give me my money. I gave him the towels and we started again. <laughs> that's how you have to bargain. Um, but I've got another point on that. Don't do it at home. On the first furlough, I completely forgot. I was so used to doing it, and I tried it in Coles. That was embarrassing. <laughs> that was embarrassing. So back in England, after six months, we started attending a little Baptist church. And I can't even remember a lot of the stuff we heard. But after a couple of years, we both got baptized by immersion. And... Uh, we loved the fellowship, and, we, and the people were lovely too. We loved it. We heard about Mr. Lang and Kerrang. Um, you know, you really don't hear about Kerrang. It's, I know it to us it's the world, but really nobody else knows about it much. But we heard about Kerrang because we went to a special meeting that was put on by the union there, the Baptist Union, and um, it was about encouraging Christians to go to as migrants. 10, 10 pound palms as migrants to Australia. And so we went up to this lady after, and the fact is that we weren't unusual because almost every winter, British people start saying, shall we move to Australia? They, they just do it. So uh, we went and asked her and she said, this is totally amazing. She says, I've, I've been looking for a pharmacist to go and help Mr. Lang in Kerrang. She said, for months and months I've been trying. Anyway. We were really interested, and God made it so clear that we had to come. It was like we are with Townsville now. It, it was so extraordinarily clear that we had to do it. Um, you saw what happened when, uh, in, in the article that Dave wrote. Our house went. The kids who bought it wanted our furniture so we could use it right up to the last minute. Everything happened. We got accepted. And suddenly we were in this massive plane clutching our two-month-old and we said to each other, it's just like we're going on a, a bus trip, but we're going all the way to Australia. This is amazing, you know. Anyway, we arrived and, um, uh, yeah, we arrived and, and dear Mr Lang met us in Melbourne, took Dave to be registered and all that sort of stuff and drove us back to Kerrang. All the way, I couldn't work out what he was doing. All the way, he kept looking back and saying, why don't you have a nap? It's going to be a hard, a hard evening when we get there because they're all waiting to see you. Have a little rest, have a little rest. And we wouldn't. We were so excited. We were looking around. He said after, I was hoping you'd sleep. I didn't want you to see how flat it is or what a long way it is or how far it is to Kerrang. But you know what? We loved it. We, we saw different birds, different trees. And when we drove in, the flowers, you know, in all the gardens, it was just, it was lovely. It was lovely. Uh, we saw no sign of what we were warned about in England. When we said we're going to, we're going to Australia, they said, much like um, Deanna said yesterday, 
You know, Deanna's told us, you men wouldn't know. Yesterday, she said, when they came to be missionaries here, people said to them, you've got to go because they've got no churches in Australia. Isn't that weird? But you know what we were told when we were coming to Australia with the new baby? They said, oh, there's no doctors there. They said, you can't get veggies. There's no fruit. And all this stuff. But we still came because God said, come. But isn't that weird? And the funniest thing is that, you know, mostly British people don't generally reckon Australia much. But when you go to America, it's, it's sort of weird because everyone you meet says, oh, I've always wanted to go to Australia. <laughs> always, they say. They all want to come. It's weird. If they all came, we'd really be in trouble. <laughs> and then, of course, now we're in Australia. Um, it, it was just wonderful to come. Everything here in Kerrang was so new and so different. Um, actually, it was really basic. A lot of you younger ones have got no idea how basic it was back then in, in Australia. The outside toilet was a huge thing to get used to. The wood stove to cook the dinner on. I'd never seen a wood stove in my life, ever, when I came here. Um, one day I remember Auntie Eve Adams. A lot of you old ones will remember her. She was so dear. And... Um, she toddled in one, one uh, lunchtime because we used to have hot meals then because of uh, Dave working at the pharmacy. And um, she came in and I was sweating big time trying to keep the light on in the stove enough to cook the dinner because Dave was due in about 25 minutes or something. Anyway, she, um, she taught me how to use kindling properly. Kindling is a marvellous thing when you've got a wood stove. She also told me how to... Uh, move all those little leaves. Some of you, I bet some of you have got wood stove still, have you? Anyone here got wood stove to cook on? No? <laughs> We've grown up. <laughs> and, and all those little levers that you had to push around. I, I've got to say that um, I got really good at using that once I, once I learned how. Um, the scones, the soup on the back, delicious. Coming back after, after meetings, especially on deputation, starving hungry, one o'clock, We'd open the door, we'd put bread on a, on a fork and toast. Absolutely delicious, better than a toaster can ever make. It was lovely. But the best thing for me about coming to Kerrang was listening to Wilbur Crook. At first, we, we couldn't work out what he was talking about. Remember, Dave, remember that first sermon when he was talking about uh, the servant who wanted to stay, and so the owner of the servant took him and nailed his ear. We were thinking, what in the world is that about? But as I listened, as I heard about this Lord who died for me, it was just wonderful. Um, Mr. Cook used to call him the altogether lovely one, he used to say, when he spoke about the Lord. And I soaked it in. I couldn't get enough. And I couldn't understand. Why, why didn't I understand that God loved me? Why, why hadn't I seen it? I asked Mr. Cook to baptize me again. I said, please, please baptize. He said, what makes you think I'd baptize you a second time? And I said, I, I really feel God wants you to. Please baptize me again. I want to tell the folk. I want to tell all of them um, how I had at last stepped into the life of joy. 
Luke 10.20 says this. We've typed it out because I can't manage a Bible and the rest of me. Um, but it says, Luke 10.20 says, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I'll paraphrase that. Don't over-rejoice that God can and does work through you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. It was wonderful. It was so wonderful all those years ago. I, I can't believe it. It was wonderful. This life, after, after choosing joy, it's been so clear, so rewarding, so difficult sometimes. We're telling the truth here. We're family. It's so difficult sometimes. Bible school, Africa, businesses to run, family to bring up, especially family to bring up. I, I suffer with you. I know how hard it is. Enjoy. It'll turn out. They'll love you to bits one day. You'll see. <laughs> um, I love it when James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of every kind, of many kind. Consider it joy. He's not saying it will be all joy. He's not saying there'll be no shortage of money. Not saying you're going to be healthy all your life, believe me, as many of these well-dressed evangelists, TV evangelists say. Um, he said, count it as joy because of the joy which is to come as our Lord did in Hebrews 12 too, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was before him, waiting for him. So count it all joy. Consider it joy as you go through everything. If you're not enjoying it, at least you're learning every time you face these things. And so we started getting ready. By the way, don't overthink it if God wants you to go to the mission field. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. We've been handling it lately, haven't we? Um, when, when he was questioning him about his love, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I do. He said it three times. God said, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Look after the ones I love. And, you know, really he means even look for the ones I'm going to love. He, do that. He said, he didn't say, um, start a church, Peter, get some robes, get a theological degree. He didn't say that at all. He said, he said, do what you do normally. You don't have to worry about the gifts you have. That is the Holy Spirit's job. He's going to prepare you for whatever you want. Wasn't that great? That Was that... Um, Diane Spicer said it yesterday, didn't she? Wasn't it great when she said she was challenged with all those police and, and prison people around her? She said she'd asked if the prisoners could have Bibles. And they said, no, no, they don't have Bibles. We don't have, let prisoners have Bibles. If you want them to have Bibles, give us your reason. And she said, I was thinking, Lord, Lord, please give me something to say, give me something to say. And you know what she said? You wouldn't think of it, not in a 100 years. She said... Um, do you realize that the Bible was mostly written by prisoners? She said, do you realize that it's concerned with murderers, uh, extortioners, all these different things? Do you realize that even the Lord spent time uh, in, in the hold for that? 
Wasn't that amazing? And the Lord gave it to her. But you wouldn't think of it, would you? I wouldn't. I'd have gone all holy on them and got it wrong. <laughs> but, you know, they, she did it great. It was, it was excellent. But, you know, that is what you do is, is what you do. You're yourself and you go and God uses you. Um, when we signed up to go to Africa with, um, with MBI, uh, with um, SIM, used to be called uh, Sudan Interior Mission those days. When we signed up, I was really worried. I'd, I'd sort of chew over things all the time. In the end, I went to speak to the principal, Graham Miller. And I said to him, look, what can I do if I go as a missionary? I can type, I can do book work, but how's that, that going to help in any of that stuff? He said, um, he said, you listen to me. He said, your job is to stand with your husband, back him, work with him any way you can. He said to me, if you want the sort of husband that can sit at the gate and have time to talk with other people and to work with other people, you know what that reference is, sit at the gate, it's in the Bible. The wise people in the old days used to sit at the gate and give out, I don't think they charged, but they used to give out um, uh, advice and, and help to everyone. He said, if you want the sort of husband who's got time to do that, free him up to do it. And I thought, oh, that's right. That's good. And, you know, I've read for years and years and years, every single morning of my life, I read Oswald Chambers, utmost for my highest. For, for my highest. And I love it. I love it. I can't believe that someone so old is so up to date. I can't, I can't believe it. it. It's like he is living now, the way he speaks. Listen to what he said. I love it. He said, Christian work is serving Jesus Christ with what we are to him, not, what we, not with what we do for him. And you know, it, if you've got the Lord in you and he's everything in you, he's going to use you any way you want to. So don't be scared. If, if you feel God tugging at you to go and do something here or somewhere else, anywhere where he wants you to serve, don't be scared. He's there and he'll take you through it. I loved also the same lady. Oh, I loved that, that message yesterday. Did you love what she, that quote she had? I thought, that is so what I'm saying. It's from Jean Vanier. Apparently he died quite reason, re, recently. He said, God doesn't ask us to do extraordinary things. He asks us to do ordinary things with extraordinary love. We can do this. We can all do this. I wonder if any of you have thought, you might be still in the, um, in the missionary, some of you might still be in the missionary worshipping stage. Listen, missionaries can be really hard to live with. Um, it's difficult sometimes. And I'll tell you why. Because these folk have been, they're lovely folk, but they've been chosen especially and prepared especially to do something, and it can make them very dogmatic. I, I understand from years ago, from reading all these mission books, that Hudson Taylor and people like him were absolute murder to work with. They were. They were led, they were driven. And my word, if you weren't driven, you better get out the way. <laughs> in, in fact, my darling old mum used to do that. She was so funny. Whenever Dave was in a little bit of a, a hustle, you know how you get a little bit noisy, She'd say to him, what now, Hudson? <laughs> 
And it's true, they were a little bit hard to take, and, and modern missionaries are the same. Uh, God has called them, and they've got their own way of living, their own plans, their own abilities, um, the only, only way they do. But look out if you happen to come head-to-head with them over over kids especially, over how to handle kids, over teaching, over methods, even over hymns, arguments, but we learned to count it all joy. And I'll tell you why we did. Nothing can beat the fellowship you can have with people who love the Lord in times that are hard. There are people that we've been with with coops, uh, coups, going through coups with, and you never forget people like that. They're those people now... Even all these years later, when we meet them, we hug each other and we're closer than family can be because we've been through it together and it's been wonderful. Friends who stood by when Dave had to hand the hospital over to the government, that was a stark day. Deal with workers who all wanted more money and then take our family in the dark through barricaded checkpoints to safety. You know, those barricaded points in the middle of the night... They were shocking that all these soldiers with rifles and whatever and bad tempered as anything, usually. And uh, I remember one of the one we got into as we came out of um, Dila after giving over the hospital. I had a friend of ours, another one that we'd never forget, had run up to the car as we were leaving and given us a big bag of mixed up food. It was all mixed together because it was in a plasticky bag. And, and I had it on my lap. But as we drove in to the barricade and stopped, I realized I always also had in a little plastic bag on my lap all my favorite cooking knives. I thought, oh, good grief. (laughs) If they look at this, I'm really in it. They didn't. It's okay. We went. And we went to a safer place. And, you know, you never forget people like that. You never forget places like that. It was wonderful. I remember the time our... um, Land Rover broke down when Dave was on his own coming through the Orissi Desert. Um, he eventually got it moving slightly, so he crawled into Shashamani, which was a station several hours still from our place, and I heard about it. I completely forgot the counting it all joy bit. I was railing about this car. I don't know how many times it had broken down. or We'd had it given um, about the cost of of repairing the car and all that, I remember saying to him, oh, for goodness sake, why didn't the Lord just give us horses that wouldn't break down all the time? You know, you forget sometimes to count the joy, but it takes time getting used to it. But then the folk at the station fed him, put him to bed, and they took a collection to pay for the repairs. I mean, how wonderful was that? It was wonderful. So to bring this all up to date... It's not really all joy, actually, when you're cleaning out the shed after 27 years in a house. This has been a nightmare. Our house echoes. It's, we've thrown out so much stuff to the op shop and the historical society. They're going to have to hire more room to put all our stuff so they can sell it. It's, it's, it's been a nightmare. But, you know, for those of us who've learned to trust the Lord and follow him as closely as possible, It's doable. It's doable. As you go on, learn to count it all joy, whatever comes. Handle it. Deal with it. Ask and expect the Lord to carry you through it, not around it. Deal with it. Otherwise, you'll just have to handle it again next year because he'll bring it again. Live in every way and every day, looking forward to the joy that's set before you 
One day the Lord's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he may even say, come in, you tried, and I know your heart. Either way, it's joy. Thank you for listening and thank you for giving me the chance.